Leland will explain why Russia may provide a historical lesson on how to get hostages back from Hamas. I'm Elizabeth Vargas. We'll see you again tomorrow. On the program tonight, Day of Rage. Hamas promises to bring its barbarism to America. Why aren't U.S. forces taking out Hamas leadership, living in Qatar in luxury? Enemy within. Day of Rage threats also raise questions about our own homeland security. With open borders and overflowing rallies for Hamas, just how soft is the American target? A house divided. And not just about who will become House Speaker. How new infighting over the presidential nominee might doom the party. And one stubborn goat. Bill Belichick joins a long list of greats who don't know when to throw in the towel. We all need to do a better job. I mean, it's everybody. What keeps the greats from quitting while they're on top? 7 p.m. here on the East Coast, 2 a.m. in war-torn Israel, where today we witnessed more bombing of Gaza, some new rocket fire aimed at Israel. There's also an attack on the northern part of Israel that in the end didn't turn out to be an attack at all. We're going to explain why. We're also learning more about the tunnel system below Gaza that Hamas will use to hide the hostages. First tonight, though, our thoughts are with the hostages, specifically how to get the hostages back. And let me assure you, there is a way. There's actually a few ways. The question is if our leaders have, to borrow a word, the chutzpah, to do it. To be clear, neither negotiation nor hostage rescue are options. The world will remain, and rightly so, Shocked by the 1,000-plus Israeli civilians already slaughtered by Hamas, we learned about more today. But currently, there are 130, roughly, many of whom are Americans, that Hamas holds and threatens to execute. Based on the video we've already seen of how Hamas treats hostages and what they've done to people in southern Israel, we need to take those threats deadly seriously. We, of course, all remember the images of ISIS executing Americans. James Foley. Kayla Mueller, Stephen Sotlov, Peter Kasich. Videos like these are coming soon. We don't have a full accounting of American captives, but it's likely about a dozen, including a mother and daughter from Chicago. Here's their families at a press conference. As Americans, they hold special value not only to us, but to Hamas. Not only are they Jews, but they are American Jews. To know how to get the hostages back, we need to think about the one country that Islamic terrorists never mess with, and that's Russia. There's a reason for that. Back in 1985, Hezbollah, the radical Iran-backed militant group, kidnapped four Soviet diplomats in Beirut and started making demands. When the Soviets refused to cave to the group's ultimatums, Hezbollah killed one of the diplomats, thinking now the Soviets will take us seriously. Oh, they did. And what happened next forever changed the way terrorists viewed Russia. From the Los Angeles Times, under the headline, KGB reportedly gave Arab terrorists a taste of brutality to free diplomats, the Jerusalem Post said the Soviet secret police last year secured the release of three kidnapped Soviet diplomats in Beirut 
by castrating a relative of a radical Lebanese Shia Muslim leader, sending him the severed organs, and then shooting the relative in the head. The severed organs included a note warning other relatives would meet a similar fate unless Hezbollah immediately released the three remaining Soviets. They were quickly freed. The newspaper quoted observers in Jerusalem as saying, this is the way the Soviets operate. They do things, they don't talk, and this is the language Hezbollah understands. The Russian tactics are objectively brutal, appallingly brutal, you could even say sickeningly brutal. But when you consider what Hamas did in southern Israel, the beheading of babies, the burning alive of couples, and the raping of women, it makes more sense. We learned about more atrocities today. Take a listen. We now know that American citizens are among those being held by Hamas. Because as president, I have no higher priority than the safety of Americans being held hostage around the world. That was President Biden today. After what he said, nothing. No threats, no demands, no promises of retribution. Same thing today. Made it clear to the Iranians, be careful. Hmm. Be careful or what? These are people who behead children. Be careful sounds like what your mother says when you go out to play baseball. Do you really think that people who behead children are scared by be careful? Even President Biden's old boss killed bin Laden. As a country, we will never tolerate our security being threatened, nor stand idly by when our people have been killed. And on nights like this one, we can say to those families who have lost loved ones to al-Qaeda's terror, justice has been done. But clearly the Ayatollah does not fear justice from President Biden, nor does the leader of Qatar, nor does the leader of Hamas. You don't hear much about Qatar these days, but you should. They provide a luxury villa for the leader of Hamas, Ishmael Hayaneh. You can see him there in the front leading his fellow Hamas leadership guys. They celebrated on Saturday morning and prayed for the ongoing operation. In fact, they were so unconcerned for their personal safety, they released a video of it. If Qatar sounds familiar, it's because there's an American airbase there. President Biden, of course, could tell the emir of Qatar, either turn over Ishmael Hayaneh or we will start bombing palaces. President Biden did not. Nor did he do what President Trump did in a tweet shortly after Iranian-backed groups fired on the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. This was back in the end of 2020. Some friendly, friendly health advice to Iran. If one American is killed, I will hold Iran responsible. Think it over. The rocket stopped. And Iran had a reason to take him seriously. A year before, Trump ordered the assassination of Qasem Soleimani, head of Iran's Revolutionary Guard and de facto commander of Hamas, and Hezbollah. Suleiman's successor is Hossam Salami. He reportedly okayed the Hamas attack on Israel. We know what the Russians would do to get their people back. The question is if our leaders, if President Biden, has the chutzpah to do it. Former ambassador-at-large, coordinator for counterterrorism, Nathan Sales, is with us now, uh, currently at the Atlantic Council. It's good to see you, sir. Thank you. Good to see you. Look, the argument against this right is we don't want to stoop to the terrorist level. Well, look, the, the bottom line is 
and I can't believe I'm saying this on national television, America doesn't cut the chutzpah off of terrorists. But the larger lesson there in that story that you told Leland is exactly right. If you want to negotiate to get your people back, you have to do it from a position of strength, where your word means something, and where your enemies fear that you're going to do more than just talk and issue sternly worded cables, but you're actually going to use the military and intelligence assets to impose massive costs on your adversaries. That's not the situation when we're in right now. Uh, I think when Hamas looks at the American hostages that they've captured who are huddling in fear and terror tunnels underneath Gaza City, when Hamas looks at these guys, they see dollar signs because they're thinking, well, look, our buddies in Tehran were able to get $6 billion in assets freed by the Biden administration to get some Americans back. Maybe it's payday for us, too. All right. Uh, there's not a lot to do with $6 billion in Gaza, but your, your point's well made. I, I guess this would be the other question. You listen to Benjamin Netanyahu, prime minister of Israel. He says that uh, every Hamas gunman is a dead man walking, right? Every member of Hamas. The Israeli language is extraordinarily direct. Um, it is the language of the terrorists. They're responding in kind. But they're not talking about the hostages. And I'm wondering if that's because the, the unsaid here is from both the Americans and the Israeli perspective, as sad as it may be, they're not really that concerned about them. They're much more concerned about a war with Hamas. You know, I, I think what's going on here, there's a couple of things going on here. One is the big strategic picture. Israel is planning a massive ground invasion of Gaza uh, on a scale that we haven't seen in many, many years. That, that is a priority. For the United States, we're also concerned about justice and retribution for the Americans who were killed. Up to today, you know, 22 Americans were, were slaughtered in these Hamas attacks. It's the fifth largest terrorist attack against Americans in our history, and the number could grow. But Americans are are also going to be focused on getting our people out. Now, why are we not um, being very uh, uh, masculine and aggressive in our rhetoric right now? Maybe it's because that's the way the Biden administration plays the game. But it also could be reflecting quiet talks behind the scenes. Maybe diplomats are thinking situation is stable now. We have a window of opportunity to get people out through negotiations before the fighting starts. Because once the fighting starts, the risk to our people in those tunnels goes up dramatically. You, you seem oddly optimistic, which I'm wondering why. I'm not optimistic, oddly or otherwise, Leland. Make no mistake, it is going to be extremely difficult to get our people back. Right. This administration is probably going to have to pay a hefty ransom. Or if it comes to the worst-case scenario and we have to send in SEAL Team 6 or we have to send in Delta, um, doing that in the context of a shooting war is a... Is a our guys are the best in the business. They're the best in the world. It's an impossible job. I was Galad Shalit uh, was one guy inside Gaza for five years. The Israelis were willing to risk anything yeah. to get him back, and they never had operational intel to be able to do it. The idea that we're going to have it based on people in tunnels in 15 different places that Hamas has been planning for is, um, well, maybe wishful thinking, I guess I could say. It's a tall order. Good to see you, sir. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Hamas's leader declared this coming Friday a day of jihad. He wants to attack Jews all over the world, not just in Israel. Of course, Israel is the little Satan. We Americans are the great Satan. New York Mayor Eric Adams understands that. He addressed the threat today. Don't underestimate <coughs> our lone wolves. 
you know, people who are who are being radicalized online. Hmm. The Israeli attacks showed just how effective and deadly small groups, even one or two gunmen can be against unsuspecting civilians. And apparently Hamas has some supporters already in America. This is a standing room only celebration in Dearborn, Michigan of the Hamas attacks. We showed you other celebrations around the country yesterday. Celebrating attacks and carrying them out are different, but not much different. Over the years, the FBI has arrested dozens in Dearborn, Michigan for their support of Hezbollah and other terrorist groups. The biggest question is, who exactly is in that crowd? And to be honest, we don't know. Our government doesn't know. That's because we don't know who has been coming into the country over the past few years. It would be pretty easy to hide Hamas or Hezbollah operatives inside the millions that have come across our southern border. And these are the ones that we know about, the pictures you see here. There are, of course, lots that we don't know about. In fact, 1.7 million people we don't know about, certainly larger than the city of St. Louis. Those are the number of people that Border Patrol picked up on sensors but lost sight of. For obvious reasons, many of them, many of people who actually have something to hide, try to avoid the Border Patrol. Allie Bradley has been looking into all of this and has some new numbers that she's gotten from sources inside DHS. Hi, Allie. Yeah, hi, Leland. You talk about those Godaway numbers, but we actually did get our hands on some of these individuals that they were kind of wanting to have additional conversations with. A lot of this focus, of course, is on Iran because they're funding Hamas and Hezbollah to the north, as you mentioned there. And now when we look at those numbers out of Iran, Leland, those numbers doubled. We were looking at more than 500 over fiscal year 2023, which just ended. When you compare that to 2022, 226. So a massive jump there. And authorities down here say that they are on alert for um, militants coming out of Iran because they could easily sneak in and exploit that southern border because you know it's been porous. You know we've had September was the busiest month on record. So that is the reality there. And a lot of the reason why they're concerned is because Hezbollah also has a massive stronghold in Venezuela, Leland. So some of the concern here is that there's these lax visa requirements there and these individuals could go over into Venezuela, establish residency, live there for a couple years, and then come in through our southern border. When we talk about Venezuelan numbers, we saw astronomical numbers in September, Leland. We saw more than 66,000 people come in from that country. That was the number one nationality that we saw across the border hmm. last month, even more so than Mexico, which is saying something. You know this. You usually see Mexico at the top of that list, but right now it's Venezuela, and it's almost triple when we compare that number to when we look at July, Leland. So yeah, we're seeing a big jump here. And the vast majority of these individuals we know are processed and what? Released into the country with a notice to appear in probably two to five years. And we know a lot of those individuals aren't showing up to those court dates either. And we can go a little bit deeper into this, into special interest countries as well, Leland, because those are countries that are designated separately from other countries that might have a nexus to terrorism. It does not mean that these people on this list are terrorists, but it means that they might have a nexus to terrorism in some way, shape, or form. And when we talk about those numbers, we're looking at more than 76 
8,000 special interest immigrants came across our border last year, 8,000 in September alone. So let's break down some of these numbers. We're looking at Egypt had around 3,000 people come in. We saw more than 450 from Iran, 375 from Syria, 114 from Lebanon, 82 from Iraq, and 74 from Yemen. And important there to note as well, Leland, that those individuals were operated by Border Patrol in between the ports, so they did not present at a port. They were entering in illegally. Now, we want to talk about the terrorist watch list, too, right? Because that is a big one that we have flagged that we are watching. So how many of these individuals are flagging on that watch list? 151, Leland, which is a sizable jump from the years prior. Right. And those are the ones we know about. We can assume that if you're on the terror watch list and you're trying to get into the United States, you might try to be one of those 1.7 million gotaways. Ali, thank you very much. Coming up next, Republicans choose to... Well, maybe have Steve Scalise carry their flag in Congress. George Will tells us why his own household perfectly reflects the divisions inside today's Republican Party. And we'll show you how Iran is using its proxy army in Lebanon, Hezbollah, to slow down the Israeli counteroffensive. Plus a look at the underground tunnel complexes in Gaza that Hamas has purpose-built to keep their hostages. We need to make sure we're sending a message to people all throughout the world that the House is open and doing the people's business, uh, making sure that we're unequivocally standing uh, in our first resolution uh, that uh, we pass under Speaker Steve Scalise will be to make it clear that we stand with Israel. Hmm. That's Steve Scalise, in case you're wondering. He's running to be House Speaker. Of course, heard the term House divided. House Republicans are indeed divided. They still can't get their act together and come up with a speaker. As are Republicans in general over their nominee for president. Our good friend George Will just wrote, Tim Scott, please drop out. Urge others to follow and unite behind Haley. The column included a disclosure at the top. The columnist's wife, Mari Will, an advisor to Republican presidential candidate Tim Scott, Uh, as you might imagine, disagrees with this column. It was right there on the website to see. And George is with us now. You look remarkably well-rested for a guy who's been sleeping on the couch. (laughs) Well, uh, I have strong opinions, and my wife, Lord knows, has strong opinions, and we get along anyway. Okay, well, we're glad to hear that. Um, We're going to side with Mrs. Will in all arguments, just out of of personal uh, loyalty. But uh, did you pull Nikki Haley's name out of a hat? What's the deal here? I think she is, uh, A, very qualified to be president. I think she's been the most interesting candidate so far in terms of policy. I think she's in the real clear politics average. She In uh, four polls, she beats uh, Mr. Biden now, before she's a household name across the country, by four and a half points. Uh, when there was, a, I think, if she were a binary choice against Mr. Trump, I think she'd be the strongest candidate. All right. So this is getting down to this idea of a one on one matchup with Donald Trump. Houses divided cannot stand. We are told Republicans can't seem to get their act together when it comes to a House speaker. They cannot get their house together when it comes to a candidate either. Um, I said uh, with Elizabeth Vargas, I said never underestimate Republicans ability to screw things up. Why do you have any hope that that's not going to happen? Because. Well, it won't happen spontaneously. That's why I wrote the column. 
which was to get uh, Mr. Scott, who I picked because he has, in my judgment, I'm, uh, I admire Mr. Scott as much as Mrs. Will does, and I think he has the character to put country over personal ambition this time around. The fact is that all five or six, however many are going to proceed, have the same plan. They're going to do well in Iowa or concentrate in New Hampshire, come out of New Hampshire strong enough to get to South Carolina, all five or six. That is a recipe for dividing the Trump vote and for Trump being nominated. And if Trump is nominated, that is a guarantee that the Democrats will not rethink the nomination of Joe Biden. The country doesn't want either of them. They certainly do not want uh, 2020 run over again. It's the one thing the country actually actually agrees on. How much are we to read in, and, and you can give us a historical basis on this, that the dysfunction that we see among Republicans, which is real, especially in the House, uh, and to a certain extent in the presidential primary, but the dysfunction in the House, how much are we to believe that that is, that is sort of unprecedented, as you would see from some of our cable news competitors, and how much of that is just sort of what has happened in Washington since the modern modern politics, we're just seeing the sausage being made more because dysfunction among Republicans is fun to broadcast. Didn't used to be this way, Leland. When Sam Rayburn for 17 years was Speaker of the House for the Democrats, Tip O'Neill for the Democrats, Joe Martin for the Republicans, you didn't have this kind of fight. What makes this fight particularly sort of characteristic of today's politics is that it's empty of substance. Uh, Scalise, who's the choice of the conference to put forward to be the the uh, next speaker, Scalise, is ideologically a little bit more conservative than, than uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy, but basically a clown. This is not about... Uh, no, this isn't about ideology. It's about the interesting about thing, I suppose, is, is that uh, Donald Trump, in his role as Pope of the Republican Party, tried to bless Jordan, and it didn't work. Uh, that was that was interesting. Uh, polling Haley versus Biden, Nikki Haley, 45.3, Joe Biden, 41. Neither of them get anywhere close to 50 percent. That means you've got uh, about 15 points, 14 points um, still up for grabs. Um, what we're seeing in Israel and now that you have American hostages, right, the, the, the 1980 presidential race turned on the Iran hostage crisis. Now you have an Iran-backed group with Iran's blessing taking hostages again. Is, it, is there a situation where foreign policy somehow becomes a major issue here? With two major regional wars raging at the same time, I would hope so. The holiday from history that we took for a long time as a nation after the end of the Cold War is emphatically over. And if this doesn't put national security, which after all is the primary business of a president, back at the top of the agenda, what will? Yeah, well, uh, the next thing that would may would be something that we all couldn't survive because we're one step below um, that level of seriousness. It's good to see you, sir. Please, thank you. Send our best to Mrs. Will. I shall. Yeah, all right. Up next, we're going to take you underground in Gaza to show you just how difficult any possibility of a hostage rescue would be. Plus... The Hezbollah attack on Israel's north that didn't happen. The Hezbollah attack on Israel's north that didn't happen will show you how Iran is keeping Israel on their guard without firing a shot.
interesting thing happened today, and you can see Israelis running into an air raid shelter there. That was actually the British foreign minister, as we understand it, uh, who was visiting Israel. The issue for the Israelis is they face a two-front war. Obviously, you have down here in Gaza, you have Hamas. Up here in Lebanon, along the northern border is where Hezbollah is. That's the much larger and much better equipped militant group, terrorist group backed by Iran. The other thing that they have is much longer range and precision guided munitions. Their rocket ranges put Haifa, which is where the oil terminals are for the Israelis, Tel Aviv, which is where all of the major office buildings are, Jerusalem, the capital, becomes in range for Hezbollah, as does Israel's nuclear reactor in the southern part of the country. Hezbollah is the 500-pound gorilla. It is also Iran's insurance policy against an Israeli first strike on Iran's nuclear facilities and against an Israeli attack on Iran's leadership. We'll just go ahead and show you exactly how different things are. Hamas, fighters 25,000 to 30,000, 30,000 rockets. Hezbollah, 150,000 rockets, again, far more technically superior, much better accuracy, and 50,000 fighters. One of the reasons that Hamas was able to cause such damage down here in the south is because for a long time the Israelis have thought that any attack, any Iran-sponsored attack, was going to come up here from the north. Now we have the possibility, and we'll put that back up here, of a two-front war. What does that mean? Today we saw the Hezbollah forces launch a massive number of drones. They didn't even put any kind of munitions over the border here. They just put drones up. The Israeli airspace, uh, air, air radars picked it up. The Israelis basically shut down the entire northern part of their country. The other thing that the Israelis have had to do is not only are they massing forces down here that we've told you about, about 300,000 forces down along Gaza in order to invade Gaza, they're also having to put massive number of forces up here in Lebanon simply to guard against the potential of an attack by Hezbollah. So it splits Israel's forces. This is Iran's insurance policy. They may not play the card, but in many ways, being able to think Israel uh, was going to have to go into a two-front war, making Israel prepare for a two-front war, is more effective than launching an attack from Lebanon. So this is what we're going to watch in terms of uh, game strategy, game theory for Iran as they're playing both Ga ha Hamas in Gaza and Hezbollah in Lebanon off the Israelis. Let's look a little bit more at Gaza. We talked yesterday about just how difficult it's going to be for a ground invasion here of the Gaza Strip. And it's getting more difficult by the day because remember, the Israelis have to traverse what was known as the buffer line. They put this in uh, about a mile wide, clear view and lanes of fire in case Hamas ever came down here across. Well, we know that happened and the Israelis missed it. Now, all of these Israeli tank columns as they go into Gaza are going to have to move across this buffer zone. Now Hamas has those lanes of fire. They call them kill zones uh, in the military. We look now at what they will face. Remember, we saw how densely populated Gaza was. We're now getting a look at the Gaza tunnel systems. We'll get just into Gaza City, which is the Hamas stronghold here. These are all tunnel networks that the Israelis think they know about underground. So as the Israeli troops are moving above ground, Hamas is able to move their fighters and the hostages below ground 
without Israel ever being able to pick it up, there's some indications that some of these tunnels may head actually into southern Israel, which would be another nightmare scenario for the Israelis. President Biden today, as you heard, confirmed the reporting that we brought you yesterday about the beheaded babies. The reporter who broke that story, we just talked to a few minutes ago. Take a listen. Nicole Zedek is here, correspondent for I-24 News in English uh, from Colorado Springs, has been uh, covering uh, Israel for about eight months now. I see ambulances pulling in behind you. Um, Nicole, I want to play that clip for you uh, that we all saw yesterday that the world stopped when they heard what you reported and get your reaction. Take a listen. And they say what they've witnessed as they've been walking through these different houses, these different communities, uh, babies, their heads cut off. That's what they said. Gunned down, families completely gunned down in their beds. You can see some of these soldiers right now comforting each other. What was it like saying that? It's nothing that I could have ever even imagined saying. It's nothing that I could imagine hearing from these commanders, these soldiers that witnessed it firsthand. I don't think anyone could imagine something like that actually happening. I know it sounds very, very strong. Babies with their heads cut off. That's what happened. So I think people need to hear what happened. And so saying that, as difficult as it is, I think I'm still, like many of the people who are watching that, wrapping my heads around exactly what happened. But after seeing the scene of the massacre and hearing from the deputy commanders and the commanders who have all seen these atrocities, pregnant women were completely slaughtered. Uh, A story of one who was sliced open. And I'm sorry to be sharing these graphic images and these graphic stories, but I think people need to hear the atrocities yeah. that, that have happened. Uh, so look, really, look, I don't think were, anyone can prepare anyone. No, look, there were, there were reporters 80 years ago who Dwight Eisenhower, uh, then the Supreme Allied Commander, brought to the concentration camps because he said the world needs to hear these stories. And it's no different today. Uh, I, I think about where you came from. You and I both left Colorado to move to the Middle East to be reporters. Um, did you understand the brutality of of the terrorist organizations that you were going to be reporting on? I know most of America doesn't, but did, did it surprise even you? I was shocked when I heard these things. Absolutely, it surprised me. I don't think anyone could know what was going to happen here. So, yes, you hear about some of these, these things, and I think even reading them in the news, seeing in, in the news, uh, being there in person... It puts a whole new perspective onto exactly what happens and exactly what these these terrorists are able to commit. I don't even know how, but now we're seeing it as more, the media is being led into more communities, more of these southern communities. We were just in the first one in Kabar Aza. Today, there's more reports out of another kibbutz, kibbutz Barry, similar scenes of just massacres. So we know just how this is happening in so many different places, how this happened in so many different places, just themed of um, horror. Take me through, and I know this, this, it goes down to an individual person, but if you can describe the collective Israeli psyche, Hamas, I think, 
uh, figured that if they kidnapped a bunch of people, Israel would back down and Israel would negotiate as they did with Galad Shalit. Uh, that has not happened. Is there a point now that it seems to have that Hamas has crossed a Rubicon and united a country that was as divided politically, perhaps, as America is on so many issues? And now Hamas has managed to do the impossible, which is unite Israel politically in a sense of moral outrage and anger. You're completely on the head with this one, because it has been so amazing seeing the entire country come together. You're hearing all of these stories of so many people who are out of the country of Israel right now. There are flocks of planes whenever they are allowed in here back to Israel. People are rushing back as soon as they can because they want to be in the fight or helping those who are in the fight, whether you're bringing food, whether you're helping the, the medics, whether you are on the front lines risking your life. The people of Israel are coming together no matter what, no matter what different political of vices they might, whether they're Jews, whether they're Arabs, whether they're Christians, uh, anyone that's here in the land of Israel, they're coming together because what's happening here to the people of Israel, doesn't matter what your background is. If you see some of these things happening, you're going to come together. It's a strong community, and that's exactly what they're doing here. Yeah, I saw some video of Arab-Israeli troops uh, in, in their helicopters heading down to Gaza uh, singing the Israeli national anthem. So there you go. Um, Nicole, I never liked it when people told me to be safe when I was on the front line, so I won't say that. What I will say, though, is what you're doing is really important, um, and, and the world needs to hear it, and keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. An incredibly brave reporter, as are many who are on the front lines in Israel. And as we said, there is the potential of a northern front with Hezbollah, and that would turn in to a true regional war. Chris Cuomo was up in the north earlier today. We'll see him in a minute. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Late in the afternoon Israel time, it appeared as though the second front was opening up. There was uh, what appears now to be Hezbollah testing the IDF. Uh, they put up a bunch of drones to ping off the IDF's radar signatures uh, to see what the IDF response would be like to Hezbollah launching in a major attack from the north. Chris was up there uh, during during that time and joins us now from back uh, on post in Tel Aviv. Uh, boy, you really do understand when you're when you're there on the ground, don't you, Chris, how close all the geography is? Yeah, uh, this is a small place. Uh, and you're making a very good point for the audience about range. Uh, Hezbollah is a much more sophisticated um, force than Hamas. And they have sophisticated weapons that can reach anywhere. So when our screens lit up today with the air raid warnings, uh, that was an introduction into a potential future of a significant second front war. Now, Israel mm. uh, is trying to play catch up here and has divided significant forces up in the north as well as in the south to hopefully not get caught like they did last week. 
Yeah, we, we made the point earlier, if you if you look at where sort of Gaza is down here and then Hezbollah up to the north, 150,000 uh, rockets and missiles, precision munitions that can reach critical infrastructure um, and the like. What I'm interested in is when you're when you've been as you've been talking to Israelis, specifically the IDF, um, there's a theory out there, right, that that Iran does not want to play the Hezbollah card because once they do, they give up their insurance policy. Uh, of a first strike against Iran's nuclear facilities, a decapitation strike against the Ayatollah and the like. And I think you saw this, right, that in a way for Iran and for Hamas, having Israel prepare for a second front war and having to have all of those troops up in the north is almost as good as fighting a second front war. Uh, I think that's a good point. And, you know, it's part of the frightening unknown here. Um, Look, Iran is obviously behind this. You also have to remember the egos involved. Hezbollah doesn't want to be left out of this. They don't want uh, Hamas's name to be in the mouths of the international community. They want to own uh, this antipathy against Israel. That's their mission. Israel is their main enemy. This is a terrorist organization that wants to do just that. And now Mm. that, you know, our audience is waking up uh, that there is no hype behind the savagery here, watching your last interview uh, with that very brave um, I-24 reporter, I think they're making a mistake not putting out images of the children. Beheading children, attacking the pregnant and the elderly is different than uh, conventional warfare and what is happening in Gaza right now. People should know. People are dying in Gaza right now as a result of Israeli retaliation and strikes. There are probably kids in there. There are probably women in there. I think it's impossible to avoid that. Uh, But that doesn't make this an equivalent situation. This is because of what Hamas did, continues to do, and now the big X factor is still the captured, not hostages. Hostages are people who are uh, taken for security and treated a certain way and used a certain way. We have no reason to believe that that's what's happening with Hamas. And all evidence is to the contrary. And Hamas, very importantly, they love to talk. They have not come forward and said anything to suggest any level of decency or humanity in no. the treatment of the people they have stolen. No, they, they, they have not. And, and look, I, I would make the point, and I think a lot of people in Israel would as well, that the suffering of the Palestinian people and the civilians inside Gaza, which is very real, um, is brought about much more by Hamas uh, than it is by Israel and a lot more by Egypt, which certainly could could do a lot for the civilians inside Gaza. Uh, Chris, I'm glad you got over there. I'm looking forward to your reports from the north as well. And I know you're going to get down south in the, in the coming days. We'll talk soon. Uh, see you at the top of the hour. Coming up next, uh, this is a problem for a lot of men, sports and otherwise. Bill Belichick joining a long list of goats, greatest of all time, too stubborn to hang it up. Why so many people refuse to go out on top when we get back? Would you let other people order for you? He'll have some old knees. No, I won't. So why let others make decisions about your older years? Do you want your kids or perfect strangers choosing where you'll live or how your money gets spent? Uh, no. Go to longtermcare.gov and find your own path forward. It takes you step-by-step through everything you need to consider about aging and all your options. Longtermcare.gov. Plan now to stay in charge or pay later. How about a mohawk? (laughs) Very funny. 
We got out of Washington State, and I think a week after, state went on lockdown for COVID. So then when we transitioned to Texas, it was very much so like, what are we going to do now? Operation Homefront has allowed our family to make something of ourselves again in the world after military. It's completely changed the way our life is. It took us from a hopeless situation, and now we're homeowners. We have a savings account. I'm the first one to own a home out of my siblings. Visit OperationHomefront.org to learn more. Hey, everything okay? Yes, I'm fine. Honey. Hey, I'm here for you. Tell me about school today. When kids can't find the right words, music can help them sound it out. Talk to the kids in your life about their emotional well-being. Find tools and resources at sounditouttogether.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Pivotal Ventures. No matter what, People need what you bring them, but sometimes a choice has to be made. You can make a safe one. Always expect a train. Know that trains can run on any track at any time in either direction. Understand that trains are faster and quieter than you think. You can stop track tragedies. Never try to beat a train. You are more important than your packages. See tracks? Think train. For more information, go to oli.org. Ma, is this how you feed a hamster? Uh, I think so. Is my homework right? Hmm, I think so. Is, uh, this milk still good? Uh, I think so. When it comes to parenting, sometimes it's okay to think you know. But when it's something as important as your child's car seat, don't just think. No. Double check if your child is in the right seat for their age and size. It'll help protect them in a car crash. Don't just think. No. By visiting NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the Go. I'm Ashley Banfield. To get America's fastest growing news channel on your screen, go to joinnn.com. Wounded Warrior Project helps post-9-11 veterans and their families realize what's possible. With support and resources that bring warriors together and empower them to become stronger, both inside and out. It's possible to begin healing. To get the help you need. To find peace. And as each warrior's needs evolve, so do we. Because these last 20 years are just the beginning. Learn more at WoundedWarriorProject.org slash possible. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for their news, traffic, weather, sports, and a community connection. It's the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping us safe in dangerous times. It's critical that we keep AM radio in cars, because when cell and Internet services are down, this free emergency service could be your only lifeline. Text AM to 52886 and tell Congress we need AM radio in cars. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. This week, New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick joined the long list of greats. The the kids call them goats, greatest of all time, that just can't quit on top. It's not a sports story. Sure, there's Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky. 
But then there are the politicians and TV hosts, Supreme Court justices. We, of course, don't worry. We won't name names when it comes to TV hosts who just can't take the curtain call. Belichick has more Super Bowl rings than he does fingers on one hand. And yet at 71 years old, he's still out there on Sunday. Rather than leaving undefeated teams vying for the Super Bowl after having won the Super Bowl, he's now trying to get out of last place. The Patriots are one in four. Elizabeth Pran, News Nation contributor, is with us now. Uh, look, you're, you know a lot about this, right? Your husband, a very successful baseball player, incredible career in the bigs. Is it? A, you think it's a male thing? I mean, Diane Feinstein wouldn't even hit the leave the Senate. Well, well, personally, yes, I, I do, I, I, I think, I'm a little bit sexist, but I think this is an opportunity for you, perhaps, to tell our viewers that you're going to be quitting golf, you're going out on top, you've reached the peak, I don't know how that's going to affect the social life of the said husband, I am sexist, I think it's a male thing, I think someone like Oprah, who's leaving you wanting more, going out on top. Speaking of my husband, though, he did reach a point in his career where he looked at me and he said, I'm 40 years old. I have plenty of offers, but when I get on the mound, I know that I am not producing the quality that I produced when I was 25, 35, even 37, 38, 39, you know, it was still a good year. It was still a good year, not quite World Series bound. But like I said, Leland, this is your opportunity if you want to tell the viewers the GOAT is retiring, then now I know where my husband's going to be on the weekends. Yeah, no, I, I, they, look, it's, it's possible, of course. I, mean, I think I need to get just a little bit better before that time comes. There is hope of, of some improvement, not much. But what is, I'm wondering about the psychology of this, and I think about this in Washington. You think it's power? Is it ego? What is that, that thing? I think accolades are currency, right? I think when you reach that level uh, of whether it's fame, whether it's money, what, whatever it is that, that feeds you. And, and it, I, I think that it's the sports, you know, you, it's everywhere. You're, you're the greatest, right, when you perform like that on top. And for him, and yes, he was the, arguably one of the greatest coaches of all time, but it also was a product of really everyone on his team. It was a product of the management. There was a lot of things that went into this golden era that he was involved with. But maybe in his mind... It was all him, and he's still hanging on to that. And I think that that is really what the gasoline in his engine, right? And so he doesn't want to. Yeah. He's not the Oprah. He's not. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. You bring up Oprah as one of the few people who, who, very few people who leave television voluntarily, right? Who say, who, and, and to, your, yes. to your great credit as well, you said, you know, at times my family's more important than my career. I'm wondering, though, at some level, if it's people who devote everything to one thing, right? Bill Belichick, unmarried, um, 71 years old, he's still out there. No, nobody at 71 thinks they have their fastball the way they did at, at 61 or at 55. It just, it's just not the way life works. And, and I, I think you might be onto something, that there's an arrogance there that you just can't, well, you can't get I'm through. Well, I'm going to butt and, in. And I, I do want to... I want to, and I want to agree with you. So, first of all, on the record, I'm agreeing with you. But I think diversifying is a conversation that you and I have talked about. It's a conversation that a lot of people ask my husband, Darren, how he was so successful for almost 20 years in the major leagues. And he said, remember, I was an academic scholarship. So it had nothing to do with the fact mm. that he was going to be an all-star at 16. That was never in the cards. When we met in college, he was going to be a doctor. There's there was a diversification in his portfolio, and I think that led to his success. I think I'm going to be going over on your time, though. Am I, am I killing you here? 
No, you're fine. But we're, we're going to say goodbye. I, I, I would add to that one last thing. It's people who think that there's things that are more important than themselves, which I know Darren does. He thinks you and the kids uh, are far more important. He and I, he and I have talked about